This is an ABC podcast. The sun is peeking over rice fields as a morning market wraps up for the day. We're in Poso, a remote part of Sulawesi, that sprawling tentacle-shaped island in the middle of Indonesia. Hello, I'm Miyuki Okiranta, and welcome to Earshot on RN Summer. Over the next five weeks, I'm bringing you the best documentaries from around Australia and abroad, like this one, in Poso. Christian, Muslim and Hindu women are sipping sweet coffee together and they're swapping leftover veggies as they pack up their stalls. Not so long ago, this would have been utterly unthinkable. One person would tell you it's the Muslims who attacked, then another would say it's the Christians. So we all ended up fighting each other. My family lost it all. Home, property, everything. 20 years ago, Poso was rocked by a vicious religious conflict that lasted a decade. All the house is just burned down. Like, I cannot even recognise my school. Nicole Kirby travelled to Poso to find out how a community learns to live together again after neighbours, once friends, turned brutally on each other. I'm looking out across lush green hills in central Sulawesi, just days after an earthquake shook these mountains, and not far from here, a tsunami turned the town of Palu to rubble. A local man, about my age, tells me he's just found out his family's safe. Amongst all the bad news, his sense of relief is almost euphoric. Almost got you. We slip into an easy chat, but it's not long before the conversation turns to the conflict that tore Poso apart. He tells me it's important to understand how the conflict unfolded. Then they will understand why people became vicious and cruel. It's because they were used. He reluctantly lets me record the conversation, sitting in a car with my recorder hidden from view. I press record and suddenly his easygoing, friendly manner evaporates. Sweat streaming down his face, he starts to shake. This interview is strictly anonymous. Maybe, I guess, it was one big mistake for us. If we want to return to our communities, it's a bit hard because we were seen as maybe as cruel people. In the conflict years, local vigilante groups would descend on neighbouring towns. They'd attack residents with machetes, knives and homemade bombs, burning whole villages to the ground. I start to realise he's telling me that he was one of the worst perpetrators. You could say we were the smallest group in terms of numbers, but we had the biggest power. We could face 100 or 500 people. We were not afraid of anything. He's a Christian, and now, more than a decade later, he still avoids Muslim areas. He's afraid of being recognised. 
sebuah power eksekutor. Yeah, we had a lot of power to kill. Big power for the eksekutor. There's fear flickering in his eyes. He never speaks about this time. We're strangers, but he's trusting me. He wants me to know how hard it is to shake this. We had a reason why we turned out to be like that. Because we were the first casualties. Our homes were the first to be burned down. We were displaced from our own land. So we had a huge amount of resentment. But now we try to let go of it all and we don't have any power at all. Simmering resentment spilled onto the streets of Poso over the West Sea in Indonesia now, where increasing tension between Muslims and Christians were killed in the attack in Tentenna Christian youths torched Three bombs were exploded, and a Christian mobs also attacked police. Thousand people have attended the funeral of a murdered Protestant minister in the region of Poso, part of the religiously divided province of Central Sulawesi. How does a community come back from something so huge? When everyone's felt hatred boiling inside them, when they know what it is to have family murdered, and some know what it is to kill. I'd heard of a grassroots women's school that's building bridges despite all the resentment. And I wanted to meet them. I'm in Poso when a massive 7.7 magnitude earthquake hits. The epicenter's a couple of hundred kilometres away. And here, the ground shakes for days. The whole place descends into shock and grief. The atmosphere here is really tense. Uh, Everybody's worried about their family and they're just glued to their mobile phones trying to get updates to find out if their family are still alive and what condition they're in, if their homes have been lost or not. When most people are still struggling to comprehend what's happened, Lian, the founder of the women's school, snaps into action, leading the charge. And at the moment, all the staff here are in a meeting and they're coordinating an emergency response to the earthquake and tsunami. Christians and Muslims are in this together, and that in itself is an achievement. Arriving at this point is the culmination of working for years to build forgiveness. So I'm Lian Gugali. I'm a founder and director of uh, Mosintu Institute. Mosintu itself means the willingness to support each other. So it's like togetherness beyond religions and uh, ethnicity, beyond all the identity. The women's school travels to far-flung villages, but its home is at Mosintuwu Institute. And it's a huge, impressive bamboo structure that's shaped like a fish. It takes its inspiration from the fish that are plentiful in Lake Poso, which Institute Mosintuwu sits on the edge of. We start with the women, but in 2016, we start also to work with the religious leaders, youth and culture leaders. Lian buzzes around with a walking stick and one limp leg. She's darting between meetings, mothering and managing a thriving NGO. But she's a contentious character. 
people in here they said that I'm keras kepala. What is keras kepala? Hard-headed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if I believe on something, I really like keep on fighting like that's one. Lian started the women's school ten years ago. She returned home to Poso after university with her baby, Sophia. But coming back as a single mother, she was pushing up against the strict codes of a conservative society. And people didn't like it. Because here, when you are single parents, they will look at you as a perempuan nakal, bitch. <laughs> and so many stories about how women experience sexual abuse, rape, and the family push them to marry with the proprietors. And I don't really follow the rule of society. I still feel Sophia is a gift, whatever the situation I'm dealing with before. In spite of the judgment, Leon forged ahead as an outsider. She worked hard to slowly build trust. Well, yeah, Sophia is only like two years old when I set up the women's school. And we have no money. So going from one village to another village by foot, knocking a door one by one to have discussions and so on, is the only choice that we have. In a place where religion is everything and not having one is incomprehensible, Leon manages to break the rules. She's from a Christian family and she lives unmarried with a Muslim man. She makes a bold claim. She's spiritual secular rather than a practicing Christian. But she works closely with the most respected religious leaders, dedicating herself to interfaith dialogue. So do you want to quickly say what the first meeting will be? <laughs> so the first meeting is a meeting with the Al-Hayrat. Al-Hayrat is the Muslims' organizations in Poso. Today, Poso is known all over Indonesia as a hotbed of Islamic extremism. Terror cells camp out in the hills, attacking locals intermittently. So Anto is one of the leader, youth leader, who always organize Muslims to protect a church during Christmas time. Setiap gereja empat sampai enam orang yang kita turunkan. Nah, kalaupun misalnya Anto tells me that every Christmas. He leads groups of Muslims who stand guard at churches, protecting them from attack by extremists. It's how he fulfills his duties to Islam. <laughs> These Muslim leaders are crucial allies for Lian in building dialogue between different religious groups, Christians and Muslims, moderates and potential extremists. Because now we are become like a really close friends. But that hasn't always been easy. Lian first met Anto and these Muslim men nearly 20 years ago, when she was researching the impact of the conflict on women who were forced to flee their homes. As bombs were exploding in markets, schoolgirls were being kidnapped and killed, and villages were going up in flames. Late one night, Lian came face to face with a group of Islamic fighters. They brought me to their room because they want explanation about my research. So you're in a room surrounded by men. men. It's 15 men. And the first question is about, so we heard a rumor about there is like a one Christian pretend to be a Muslim using headscarf going around to the Muslim community to be a spy. Uh, 
that first question is make me okay. <laughs> Time stopped. Okay, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of interrogation. Anto, yes, he's one of them. Anto told me that no, there is no guarantee for you. So it really depends on how you answer. The interrogation became an impromptu midnight theology class. As Leon explained that head coverings have a place in Christian traditions too, and why it is that God has a son called Jesus. And I start teaching, <laughs> like a teaching. It's a lecture. I feel so funny during that time. After that questions, I become more confident. I feel like, okay, I know I'm in trouble, but I will be good to answer these questions. And from not knowing if she'd make it out of the room that night, it started to dawn on Leon. This could be her moment. I saw their eyes and they start to trust me. So I bring them to the conversation about what is the benefit of conflict possible for us. I feel thankful for the interrogations because I finally have dialogue with them about how we understand about the conflict. The Sahato decades stuttered to a close today as the ageing president finally yielded to the pressure of his people, his generals. Of course, in the region right now, he's running out of food. By stepping down now, the president may have prevented an explosion or he may simply have postponed A lot of violence could occur. The 1997 Asian financial crisis hit Indonesia hard and President Suharto was forced to step down after 32 years of authoritarian rule. There was a push to reform and democratise and for regional Indonesia to have more control over their own affairs. Kegoncangan politik di Jakarta berdampak di banyak daerah di Indonesia. Political upheaval in Jakarta impacted many of the regional areas. Asha Tandapai is a historian based in the town of Tentena in Poso. For example, East Timor, there were conflicts in Kupang, Kalimantan Sambas, Ambon, Ternate, Papua and Poso. Most of the regional conflicts in Indonesia were split along religious and ethnic lines. Poso was the longest-running conflict. Violence continued here for about nine years. The causes were multiple and complex. Because me, myself, as a researcher, do not believe that the conflict poso is based on religions. I believe that it's because of political and economic interests. Political and religious rivalries might have triggered the conflict in Poso, but Asha Tandapai says it was fueled by economic interests. Ternyata Kabupaten Poso, Sulawesi Tengah adalah it turns out the Poso Regency in central Sulawesi is an area with great potential for mining natural resources. In Poso, many deposits were found, gold, nickel and then gas. In the coastal area, there was information about a uranium deposit. So you have a lot of investors paying close attention to central Sulawesi, especially Poso. They brought in a lot of money, took up plots of land, and divided them for mining. The impact is that Poso people are marginalized from their land, because their land is being used for mining and palm oil plantations. The conflict was maintained to put pressure on the community 
to move away from mining areas. Untuk memindahkan masyarakat dari lokasi-lokasi pertambangan itu. One afternoon, Leon drives me to the oldest mosque in the region. It's a hollowed-out wooden building. Without the domed roof, it doesn't look that different to an old church. I think the another like a really big story of this place is during the conflict. Leon tells me that this mosque is evidence of a time before the conflict, when Christians and Muslims got along. When Christian missionaries first arrived in 1892, this is the place they came. The imam invited the missionaries in to stay the night and they spoke into the early hours of the morning. Because during the conflict, the Christians commonly come to attack and then burn down all the villages. The all house is burned down, but only this, this mosque and this house is not burned down. Because they remember, even the Christian community remember that this is our history, this is our identity. Yeah. Ketika konflik terjadi, sebenarnya when the conflict started, actually the people of Poso lived in neighborhoods of religious diversity. There were Christians and Muslims living together with great respect for one another. But the conflict resulted in Tantena becoming a center for Christians, while Muslims concentrated in Poso city. So the impact today is that there are Christian neighborhoods and Muslim neighborhoods. So after the conflict, the Christians who we used to be friends with and knew, we were scared of each other, even though we were neighbors. Mosintu Institute has become a place for all kinds of people to come together, especially women. Under its broad bamboo roof, Mosintu Institute houses a cafe, a library, a co-working space and a tiny community radio station. This radio studio is the cutest little radio I've ever seen. It feels a little bit like a tree house, like it's a bamboo house. My name is Salani. I'm 21 years old and I work at Mosintu at the radio as announcer. So you were just announcing some song requests. I heard you saying it was so hot it's like it's just out of the oven. Yeah, it's fresh from the oven. The song is so freaking new. It's amazing. It's like a cake. It's fresh from the oven. At the conflict, they do fighting because they didn't have the place to share what they say. They didn't have someone to listen to what they want. That's why we are here as the radio. We want to like listen to what they think, to what they want. That's why they didn't have to fight each other. And what I see right now, especially in the women's school, every time I see the Muslim woman talk to the Christian woman, I got tear on my eye. I feel like I was so blessed. Like I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. It's not easy to talk about something that, you know, changed your life.
At the radio station, the women's school and in meetings, opening up a conversation about religion is like digging into festering wounds to heal them. Nama saya Martin Cebaleona, umur 48 tahun. My name is Martin Cebaleona. I'm 48. I'm Pentecostal Christian. Three of my family members, just students at the time, were mutilated during the conflict. It truly broke my heart. My name is Ibu Hadra. I'm 34 years old. I'm a Muslim. In that first class, we were sharing and talking about the conflict. Before it, during and after it, and how it felt. Friends from different religions, Christians, Muslims and Hindus were all speaking together. The first time I joined the class, I did not like seeing people at the women's school wearing the hijab. I really hated it. I felt full of revenge towards those women. So everyone had spoken. I was the last to speak. So I said, without apology, personally, I hate Christians. If I see them at the market, I don't even want to stand near them. I spoke until I cried. I told them I hate Christians. I hate Christians. I hate Christians. But I wanted to find out how I could cure those bad thoughts. I wanted to rid myself of this hatred of Christians. For two months, we learned about religious tolerance. I listened to Christians and Muslims telling stories and I shared my own story. In the conflict in 2000, men would search for people to kill. And so I ran away with my two children. And my husband ran separately. We were in the forest for three months. And we just ate leaves and vegetables. Until we didn't feel it was safe in the forest any longer. So we looked for a route out. I met a group of people whose faces I didn't know and I couldn't identify because they were covered in black paint. In that moment, my only hope was for my children. The men threatened us with sharp weapons. They said to me, You answer, are you Muslim or Christian? I couldn't say anything because I thought, if I say that I am Christian, Maybe I'll be murdered. And if I say I am Muslim, maybe I'll be murdered. Because I didn't know this group and what their religion was. So we kept quiet. But my daughter was wearing earrings in the shape of a Christian cross. That's what saved us. I thought the group must be Christians because they hadn't killed us. Maybe if I was Muslim, maybe I would have been killed. I don't know. Kalau mungkin saya Islam. 
Saya tidak tahu apakah mungkin saya akan dibunuh. Saya tidak tahu juga saat itu. The women swap stories, and they began to realize they weren't so different. We are all victims of the conflict. The conflict made us feel all this hatred. Christians are not evil. Muslims are not evil. Hindus are not evil. It's been nearly 10 years. More than 500 women from over 80 local villages have been to the women's school. 200 of them have gone on to become local leaders, taking positions that are usually reserved for men. After I joined the women's school, my thinking changed. My position changed. From a housewife, I became involved in the village council, then the district council, and now the regional government. Martinche now spends most of her time working out of the home, and her husband takes care of the housework. She claims that under her fierce leadership, domestic violence is on its way out in her village. Men are afraid to be violent towards women. They're like, don't, there's Ibu Martinche. Because, I say, if you hit your wife, the place for you is jail. I won't tolerate you doing that. Leanne's vision is for the community to eventually have sovereignty over their water, land and the economy, achieving lasting peace through control of natural resources. So they've established a market to sell their own produce and they're reviving the local coffee industry. People always think in outset the only problem that we're dealing now is terrorists or that Muslim and Christian here killing each other. The real problem of us here now is the natural resources. Most of our land almost taken by the big company, palm oil, gold, and also now it's the lake, the water. There are plans to excavate Lake Poso for hydropower which will put livelihoods at risk and damage a place that's sacred in the cultural and spiritual life of locals. Farmers, fishers, religious leaders and the women at Mosintuwu Institute are now fighting to save the lake. And the company planning the development project? Well, it's owned by the family of Vice President Yusuf Kala. So it's kind of like a fair between the government, the company and the military. The real fight for us now, for peace process and for justice, is like how we can still have our rights for land, for water, for human rights. The women's school is fostering forgiveness, but peace is still fragile in Poso. The man I met earlier tells me that groups like his could mobilise in a moment. We try to forget, try to stop remembering, but sometimes we are reminded. There are situations that make us angry or jealous. We still keep our distance from one another. We just hope that our children won't do what we did. That's all.
The Peaceful Rebels of Posso was produced by Nicole Kirby. The sound engineer was Russell Stapleton. The supervising producer was Claudia Taranto. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this program, make sure to catch our sister show, The History Listen, for a summer season of stories all about home. From a cherished family recipe book and a women-only utopia to a vanished shanty town in Melbourne's old swampland, finding home on The History Listen. But this is Earshot. I'm Miyuki Okiranta, and I'll catch you next week for more of RN Summer. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.